everybody. Welcome again to another episode of the Shop Notes podcast. I'm Phil from Shop Notes magazine, joined by Logan and John. Today is episode number 166. We're going to do a John Doyle design challenge today. Check in with the comments and questions from last episode and give like a little sneak peek of some of the other projects that are going on around here uh, for Woodsmith and Shop Notes and Popular Woodworking. So stick around and I hope you enjoy the show. The word from our sponsor, you want a glue that you can trust. And fortunately, Tightbond has the glue you need to get the job done with confidence. From interior glues with strong initial tack and short clamp time to exterior glues with exceptional strength and water resistance, look to Tightbond, the right glue for your next project. For more information, visit tightbond.com. This podcast is also brought to you by Bowl of Thumbtacks. Bowl of Thumbtacks. <laughs> what I use to entertain myself when Logan goes <laughs> off on a rant. <laughs> I have never went off on a tangent, oh, John. Oh, my goodness. That's today. super funny. Yeah. Maybe I should. my heart. Yeah, Apparently, I cut the... myself shaving today. Hmm. Mm. All right. Now you can see it. Now we can all see yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Now I can't not see it. Right. All right. A couple of comments on last week's podcast uh, titled Equal Parts Scorn and Praise. Uh, Puppy Doc said, when I visited the shop back in July, you know, the day that Phil and Logan ran and hid, (laughs) I had the fortune of meeting Chris and seeing the birdhouse firsthand in production. I have to say, wow. I'm still stunned and amazed at how cool that project was looking. His creative mind is just awe-inspiring. Walter Riggs says green and gray headphones. That's just an obvious Festool product placement. Do they come with a sustainer? It's a mini stainer. Yeah, way yeah. to sell out. Yeah. Looking forward to the shop tour on one of these podcasts, Logan. And then Music by Mark writes, do you think you might make a separate channel for the podcast discussions versus the project videos? Nope. That sounds like work. Yeah. Yeah. We do have a separate playlist. So if you come to the Woodsmith Mm -hmm. shop or the Woodsmith um, channel and then click on playlists, uh, you'll get the Shop Notes podcast playlist and you'll be able to find episodes there relatively quickly. Or if he's trying to avoid them, just don't click oh, on that yeah. playlist. Right. Yeah, that's another. Yeah. If you're trying to just stay with projects, that's also a good idea. That's true. I never really thought of it. These uh, headphones do have a Festool Certain sort festool, of. Yeah. Yeah. Festool stank to them. Right. <laughs> They're actually leftover ones from when my son was doing online school during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And for being cheapo target f- headphones, they actually work pretty well. I'm kind of surprised. You, like, And I will say, you know, not being facetious or anything, but Festool did just release their earbuds. So. Oh, they do have earbuds. <laughs> okay. I don't have a set, but they did release right. them. Yeah. I'm surprised if it, those are from not your son. They're not like some sort of like gamer headphones with the microphone on them. And, oh, no, I think uh, technically there is a microphone oh, yeah, there is, right yeah. there, but it's 
my fancy laptop does not recognize the fact that these are headphones and a microphone in one. So I got to do the Saturday night or the evening talk show microphone, which is a better microphone anyways. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's exactly true. The magic of publishing is constantly having the simultaneous fear feeling of accomplishment and being behind all at once. <laughs> in the sense that you get a magazine done and it's like, well done, everybody. We got this one out the door. Now we got to do the next one. Yep. It's basically like you get, every time you get one thing done, you get two more things assigned to you. Yeah. So it's like drowning in a sea of magazines and getting a magazine life raft thrown at you. (laughs) Very similar to that. Yeah. Well, you know, and thinking about it, we're the only ones that have multiple, like, of the magazine, wood, wood, woodworking magazines around, we're the only ones that have multiple titles. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So those slackers over at Wood and Fine Woodworking, man, right. yeah, I'm talking to you guys. Like, yeah, we're calling you one out. one issue yeah. every other month. Ben we're doing, like, three magazines every two months. Yeah. Yep. So. And it's our own fault. It is. <laughs> we asked for that. Well, you really should have said that, John. We just lost yeah. all sympathy. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> we're junkies. It's We just yeah. can't get enough. So anyway, one of the projects that we have working on, even though we're still on the trailing end of August here, is a set of Christmas tree ornaments that Chris Fitch designed. So we're going to start. There are five Christmas tree, five ornaments that we're going to show. And I'm... I'm thinking right now that we're going to kind of do it like simplest to more complex. So here's the simple one. Mm -hmm. Straight cone. I'll put a photo of this on the show notes page with some little dots that are put in with a little plug cutter and some plugs. I think they're Paduk dots currently. They look like it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of a fun one. And then we're going to step up in technique just a little. This one is, again, just a solid piece of wood turned into kind of a conical tapered shape and then using a parting tool, just kind of diving in straight to make a series of, I don't know, grooves around it to indicate branches. It's got a very very Jetsons kind of mod feel to it. And then that outside section is painted. This one's walnut. Mm-hmm. That feels like a Lego tree from here. It does, yes. One hundred percent. That's exactly what yeah, that is. If you had Lego trees growing up, yeah. Then we have uh, two guys that are kind of related. One is instead of just being a straight taper, has a series of increasing sized curves cut into it to indicate the the branches, which I think is a cool, and this one has a glued in walnut trunk on it. So the rest of it, I think is, I don't know, is that even just poplar or basswood maybe? Yeah. It's a light colored wood. Yeah. Yeah. Light colored wood, but I like the rounded look to it. It's, it's kind of fun. Kind of like a uh, waterfall OG look. Mm -hmm. Yes. 
that's a good way to look at it. It's like a waterfall OG. It also has a little bit of an Eastern Orthodox kind of like onion dome kind of look yeah, to it. a little it. bit, yeah. Then the other one is straight, but has little graduated cones. But this one, the blank, was glued up square and then cut at 45 degrees, and little thin pieces of walnut were glued into the blank. So there's a real sloping kind of fun look of how the those walnut inlays did. A few years ago on the TV show, we did a series of candlesticks where we put like these inlay pieces in and clamped it together and then bandsawed it apart. That kind of reminds me of that. Mm-hmm. And then the yeah, final like one the Celtic knot style. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. The final one, this one's just straight up cherry. And again, has the kind of your standard graduated cones look to it. But at the top is a star and the star is actually part of the main blank. And it gets turned into its round form and then split down the sides to reveal the star. Which is super cool to me as a, as a fun little technique. And I'm going to have to take a photo of Chris's instructions to Mark on how to do this. Because Chris just kind of like drew a circle around the star on the plans and then do, drew two straight lines. Neat, neat. That's it. That's how you do it. What more do you yep. need? Yeah. Yep. Explains itself. Yeah. So anyway, that's what's going on. It kind of reminded the technique of making the star kind of reminded me of a YouTube video I saw years ago. I think it was from Germany where they just showed some guy with a lathe and he's turning kind of like this big ring mm-hmm. on the lathe and he's making all these weird cuts on it on the inside and on the outside. And it's like, this is like the dumbest bowl I have ever seen. Pulls it off the lathe, sets it down and takes this big honk and chisel and just wax out pieces you know, what looks like a bunt cake kind of thing. And then each of those pieces, when you turn it to the side, suddenly is like animals from a Noah's Ark kind yep. of toy set. Yeah. I, and I've seen, I've seen a lot of guys do that where they'll, they'll do the ring and then slice it on the bandsaw or maybe just take a wedge out of it. And yeah, they're, they're pretty cool. Like I've yeah. never had desire to do one, but they're pretty cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I always find it surreal, and I, I bet people don't realize this, but a lot of times for our um, like holiday projects, like those Christmas trees, we're photographing those in July and August to get those into the end-of-year issues. So we have Christmas trees set up in our studio a lot of times you know, in the summer. And then our outdoor projects, uh, a lot of times we have to do those a year in advance because we have to photograph them outdoors yep. when it's right nice weather or we're yeah trying to because get we're working in, on summer yeah we're working on so, those issues during the fall usually so it's like yeah. you can't it's weird weird placement to do a outdoor project in the sun for the summer issue but all the leaves are still like golden right yeah a little yeah weird. so if we either have to fake that in the studio or go to the 
botanical center or greenhouses mm-hmm. and shoot those indoors and try to fake the outdoors type of thing. So yeah. well, it's I a struggle. It's, yeah. What the, the funny part from a writing standpoint is, so we'll design and photograph and build that project now or earlier for next year so that we have in the, in the kind of the outdoor months where you'd have, that would be like a natural fit for it. But it was done a year ago, so you just totally don't even remember, like, what happened to that project? Mm-hmm. And then you have to try and talk to the builders about how they built it. And Steve and Mark have Project Amnesia. Like, they build something, and it just goes away when they start on mm-hmm. the next one. Yeah. Yeah, we had a outdoor furniture set a few years ago that it felt like it was being built over an entire year and Dana Myers, the shop builder, was building it, and he was he was trying to retire and leave, and then like it was getting written the next summer, and it was just one of those. I wrote that one too. Yeah, so it was that one was a struggle. So, and to be fair, I'm friends with Dana. Mm-hmm. He had unorthodox ways of doing stuff. Yeah. So sometimes she's like, "I think this is how I did it." I'm like, mm, <laughs> "Did you?" <laughs> Did you? Because that's weird. Yeah. And I mean, it makes sense, but it's weird. Yeah. A lot of self-taught techniques of like <laughs> kind of just, yes. just figuring it out and yep. well, it yep. worked. So. But. No, I like Dana a lot. Cause just for that very reason that he was not very conformist on how he did stuff. Yep. I think, I think you can learn a lot from, yourself and other people with that kind of ingenuity because they'll yeah. do stuff in ways you you hadn't thought of previously so it's always interesting all right speaking of something interesting one of the things that i wanted to do here today is uh find a practical example to describe our design process a little bit and this is where i'm going to put john doyle on the spot because <laughs> he does better under pressure yeah, and in a little bit of a panic. So <laughs> I have this book. I've shown it on the podcast before. It's called Wegner, Just One Good Chair. And it's about Hans Wegner, the Danish designer. And I had had this on my wish list for a book or for quite some time, just because of this guy was kind of a very interesting character and designed really cool projects. Anyway, we've talked about on the podcast how I usually don't like making chairs, especially for a dining table, because it's not one project. It's six mm-hmm. projects or more. However, I was flipping through this book again, and a couple of chairs designs caught my eye. And it's basically what are sometimes categorized as like his cattle chairs. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to take photos of this, put it up on the show notes page. But for the people watching on the radio, this one is actually called the cow horn chair. It's a real simple design for rounded legs, a couple of rounded stretchers, a woven seat. And then the back has like a curved shape to it that ends in not full armrests, they're more like just elbow rests. And those elbow rests are have that cow horn shape to it. There's a couple other ones here I'm just gonna show. 
Slight splay to the legs, it looks like. Yeah, just a very slight splay. All right, so here are two other ones. One there. Mm -hmm. And then that one has like metal legs because he did a few of them for, you know, industrial production. There's one that's the buffalo chair that has much larger and it's padded yeah. and upholstered. He also did one. I want to quick find it. Yeah, so there's like the long... Short-horned bull chair, long-horned bull chair, all very familiar. And he even did one that was supposed to stack that had just three legs to it, which was kind of a kind of a fun design. So what I'd like to do is just try making one just to see how comfortable it would be mm -hmm. and whether I could actually pull it off is probably yeah. the larger issue. So the question that I would have for you, John, as a designer, because I know you've done something similar to this, is where would you start on coming up with a project that was in that family, but kind of making it your own all at the same time? Mm. I'd have to say, and my grandma used to say this, it's like if you wanted to have a baby in Antarctica, you just wouldn't. You just don't. <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> So your grandma's no, a very I, wise woman. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, no, uh, I, the way I understand, I've never built a chair. And okay. I've never built a guitar, but the way I would understand it is like chairs and guitars are, or chairs are like the guitars of the furniture world. Cause you have like all these jigs and specialized tools and each kind of part of the chair serves a different purpose. And you could go through all of the process of doing all those mini projects and you get done and you're quickly going to know if it worked or not. Like you right. could do all those things yep. and you build the chair and. But like, you wouldn't oh, even necessarily. This isn't coming. Yeah. It looks like. But a you chair, wouldn't but know you until it's it, done either. Until it's done. Until it's completely done. You'd be like, well, that design didn't work. It's, you know, <laughs> it's like too high in the back or like it just doesn't sit right. And so. Well, and. You know, another thing I think about chairs, and I've read this several times, to truly make a chair right, it has to be made for someone. Right. Because everybody, everybody's kind of different. They have, yeah. Like, you could have long legs and a short torso, or your back hits different, or exactly. the way your knees bend over the chair. So it's really hard to make something like that that fits everyone. Yeah. And well, it's, comfortably, it, so... Yeah, it's like that's why you can't – like I don't know if you guys have ever walked into like a dining or a uh, like homemaker's furniture store mm -hmm. and sat in their dining chairs. None of them are – they don't cradle you like a custom-made chair does. And I don't right. know how many custom-made right. chairs you guys have sat right. in. But like they just don't feel right because they're – I mean they're made to fit a bell curve of people, yeah. you know? So, yeah, right. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I think if I were – designing and building a chair i would find existing chairs and have the people that are going to sit in them kind of you know try different stuff out and then you know mimic dimensions and shapes and stuff like that off existing because it's hard to like you know do that in a virtual space yeah in design space where you're you know 
drawing something or so I, I don't know. I've seen Dylan. I mean, he's our chair guy. He's done a lot of chairs, yeah. and he'll build prototypes out of you know plywood and scraps and you know try different things out. And so I think that's kind of you know a direction you you got to go where you're prototyping things out of scraps or trying out existing furniture just to yeah. see comfort level and get dimensions and sizes and shapes and different things so thank you to tight bond you want a glue that you can trust and fortunately tight bond has the glue you need to get the job done with confidence from interior glues with strong initial tack and short clamp time to exterior glues with exceptional strength and water resistance, look to Tightbond, the right glue for your next project. For more information, visit tightbond.com. Yeah. yeah. Now, out of Dylan's chairs, just on that note, which one would you say is the most comfortable at, that we've featured in Woodsmith? Uh, I, I kind of like the cowhide chair was different. But it, it's like also chairs have different purposes some are like for yes. lounging and some are for you know sitting at a desk or sitting at a dining table or you know that type of thing so it's like what's the purpose and yeah well, did, like did he do the did he do the chair? yeah he yeah. did yeah that one was all right like that one hit the the back hit me a little low it seemed like it was a like little the sharp lower, on my back, back as well yeah yeah and maybe that was just you needed a round the top of it yep. type of thing. So, and I think that's, was the case. Cause when we did the one on the TV show, I ended up rounding that back a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I have that chair at home and my wife uses it as her office chair and she loves mm -hmm. it. Yeah. yeah. I liked the Campeche chair. Um, okay. The most, I think, I feel like it just needed just a hair more tilt forward because I think it's mm -hmm. like a beach lounging chair. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. You want to you know like kind of slide back into it and then it's, yeah. Maybe hard to yep, get out. I, oh, yep, I just so. want a little bit further up. But and those are the type of things. Like if you're doing chairs, those are the things you build one, and you're like, okay, this is what I want. I want it to lean forward a little bit because I think mm -hmm. when we had the Capici chair in the studio, I I threw like a two by six underneath the back legs. I'm like, oh, that's mm -hmm. perfect. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, it, you know, and there there are designs I think that have been built. You know, you know, look at some of, you know, Greg Pennington's chairs or, you know, Brian Boggs or whoever else that makes chairs. They sell plans and those are really well designed chairs. I'm actually going to do two Democratic chairs this week um, with my buddy Rusty that's coming up. Um, you know, those are built on a plan that has been, for the most part, tested. Um, now right. you can and I, and I think in their plans, you can point out or I think they're there are things that are pointed out that it's like, Hey, if you're a little bit taller, adjust these measurements. If you're a little bit shorter, adjust these measurements. If your butt's a little wider, make this a little wider, um, that type of thing. So, but those are a different type of chair than what you're looking yeah. at, Phil. Yeah. yeah but I, I also feel like there is a relationship between them, that there's a family resemblance. They're not mm -hmm. a direct descendant, but they're from the same line in the sense of some of the, construction details or the shaping are somewhat mm -hmm. similar. Mm -hmm. So I, where this is coming from is we have had a set of dining chairs that we got at a kind of a big box place years ago. And for me, they're just not comfortable. 
and they're really heavy and they have legs that are that have the corner bracket hanger bolt construction which means they're constantly working loose and it's like you can tighten them as they loosen up over time they loosen up all the time that's the <laughs> that's how you need to rephrase that so yeah. and they're made out of some non-selective ugly grain kind of material mm-hmm. so do you think that is that a function of the wood changing that loosens it up cuz i don't think it's the bolt loosening over time no, it's not it's like you not. put thread lock on it or something it's right. just that no, the it's... wood changes over time yeah and becomes loose and i think that particular material does have a it's more reactive i guess to humidity in the sense mm-hmm. that it seems like it's pretty noticeable some stuff i've done and we've done as projects where you use that hanger bolt corner bracket kind of construction and you cinch it down and it stays that way for years possibly before having to adjust it again. Whereas these, I kind of have to go at them probably once a year or more. Anyway, it was just a question that I had because I know John that you've done projects where they're inspired by something else. Mm-hmm you know, but you've taken them in a different way. And I was just wondering how, you know, like what's that first step? Do you just kind of draw out overall dimensions? Yeah. And then start playing around with it. Yeah. That's usually, I kind of get a rough size, kind of a rough sketch and then it kind of goes from there, I guess. Yeah. So, cause I know I'm not, when I design projects, I don't normally build, prototypes Mm -hmm. but again i'm not very often slash ever doing chairs right where there is such a interaction with with the human body on it that you know you're just not getting with a cabinet or i mean even even beds that people use a lot it's just a platform right Mm -hmm. and it's usually to a designed to a specific, you know, mattress size. And so right. it's very constricted that way. But yeah. 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 A lot of times designing it's... stuff for the magazine, it's, you're not trying to fit a specific space. You're just trying to build, you know, a piece of furniture. But if I'm doing, you know, for my house and I'm trying to get sizes or whatever, I might take like cardboard boxes and make them to the general size of what I'm thinking and put them in that space and then kind of you know, live around that is like, does that, you know, size and shape make sense type of thing? Or, you know, if I'm, if if it's for a specific spot in my home. So I can see that. That'd be a strategy. Is there ever a point where you guys make a concession on a design just to fit a function? Or where I'm going with that. So behind me is this, um, shave horse that I just finished for the next issue of Popwood, right? It is a staked leg construction. So they're turned. Um, you can't see that's, there's two legs back there, but that is one single leg up front point. The reason for the three legs instead of four is that if you ever take it outside on uneven ground, it, it will still 
it won't rock, right? It won't rock back and forth. Um, what I did when I did the back legs is you have you have splay angle and you have rake angle. So it's the angle at the legs in plumb and then the angle of the legs in relation to a center line. Um, and as I was standing here building this thing over the weekend, um, I'm trying to figure out where I want the legs to land. The wider the stance, the... How's the best way to describe this? The wider the stance, the more stable it is. But the and more the easier it is to on... trip it out. <laughs> well, exactly. Exa- I mean, yes, 100%. And mm. the wider the, the stance, the more stress that is on the legs and the leg joint. Right. So I made a decision to keep the legs fairly, the, the splay angle is fairly low. So the feet are not much wider. They're about an inch wider or so than the actual outside of the shave horse. So it is not what I would call Like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to stand on it to do anything because it's not what I would call a super stable design as far as, you know, tipping left and right. But that was a, a decision I made to keep the legs pretty much within the footprint of the the platform of the shave horse, because then when I push it up against the wall, it's, it's pretty much all contained within that space. Yeah. Um, now if somebody wants it a little bit stronger or a little bit more stable, they can, they can splay them a little further. It's not that big a deal. Um, the angles just change. Um, have you guys ever just been like, you know what? I know that there's a give and a take on what I'm doing and I'm going to do this for this reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, designing stuff for the magazines, there's always concessions because you're trying to fit to a page count. So you're either making it small projects more complicated than they needed it to be or (laughs) complicated projects (laughs) less complicated so they fit a page count. And uh, just, you know, a lot of times materials or color you know, paint or stains. It's like, well, this doesn't really photograph well, so we got to do this color or this material mm-hmm. or, you know, that kind of thing. So just from the the magazine standpoint, there's a lot of concessions that way. But yeah, you know, so. and that's that you make a good point with the, the stains and the finishes because this the shave horse's elm like it looks fine. Mm-hmm. It will look really good with a finish on it. Right. If this was just for my shop, I wouldn't put a finish on it. Like, right. It's just gonna it's gonna be what it is. It'll be fuzzy elm. Yeah. But I gotta put a finish on it because it's gonna photograph a little bit better. Yeah. So, you know, it's gonna that's another magazine decision. Yeah. I mean I've designed and built projects and made concessions because of materials. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, in terms of I only have X well, like that uh Pullman desk that I did. I only had X amount of clear pine for visible case elements. So that kind of drove whether I was going to, you know, whether a nice, whether a piece of wood ended up being somewhat more visible or less visible Mm -hmm. or gluing up drawer fronts instead of having a single piece drawer front, you know, doing a book match or something like that. Yeah. I've also made projects smaller because of that, like that, uh, uh, sideboard I did for my sister that was in pop. That's I think in the current issue or last issue of popular woodworking. And 
that ended up being a little shorter and a little narrower than I wanted or yeah, not as deep as I wanted just because of the material that I had. I could do it in two boards. I think I did the top in two or three boards and that was about as wide as I could go because I was dealing with, you know, sapwood or knots mm -hmm. or something else that constrained what that final glue up could be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think we found the same thing as we're building projects like for the TV show and we're following the original plans. We'll have the materials and it's like, well, I can't quite get, you know, the full, like gluing something up or you're trying to work around knots or, you know, different things. You like, well, it's going to be a half inch narrower than what the plants say, but nobody's ever going to know. It's just, you yeah. know, you're kind of building to the materials you have. And same as in the design process, you'll, you'll kind of plan something out. And it's like, well, if I, you know, shrink this down a half inch, I can get it all out of one sheet of plywood versus, you know, getting into the next sheet. And so that's kind of a process too, mm -hmm. is, is working around material constraints like plywood or just the materials you have on hand. So you can always make those changes. Yep. And to be okay with that, like mm -hmm. it's not a big deal. I've had that in classes where we're building a project and somebody, you know, dorks up an edge for something. And it's mm -hmm. like, well, we're just going to rip it a little bit narrower and your tool tote or wall shelf or whatever is going to be, you know, five and a half inches deep and not six inches deep. And they're all kind of beat up about it, but it's like. Right. Dimensions. But you're like, the original designer didn't really care. They were just going for round numbers <laughs> yeah. to, to uh, appease the artist and the editor because they didn't <laughs> right. want to put in the fraction. So yeah. it's just, you know, it's like the lines on the road. You just, they're just a suggestion, uh -huh. you know? So. Yep. I love it. I've also had a project where uh, I did a bowl, carved bowl for my wife. And it was one of the first ones that I did. And it ended up being out of uh, Chinese elm. And it got done to the level that it currently is simply because I could not take it anymore. <laughs> the... yeah. Chinese elm, as a function of how they grow, draw up a lot of silicas from the ground Yep, and embed those into the wood, which instantly dulls carving tools and make, and it's cross, well, yeah, the grain is interlocked. Arms, yeah. So it, it never really split or took decent shaving. So it was just kind of like chipping away at this thing. Mm -hmm. And I built it mostly during the summer and it was really humid that summer. And I, there's a lot of sweat literally in this project. <laughs> so, and I got it to a form where the form overall is nice, but if you start, you know, doing the human caliper thing, it's, it's a little chonky on the sides mm -hmm. and bottom where it probably could have benefited from being a little bit more elegant, but. I like it. It's pretty cool. It holds napkins on our dining room table now. And Oh, so it's not your pizza dough bowl? 
The no, sweat, no, it's the embedded not. Yeah. sweats, the secret, <laughs> the Huber family yeah. recipe. Yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> that's the salt in it, you know? Yeah, it's, right. It's, yep. it, it's not Amish bread, it's, it's Huber yeah. bread. Yeah, it's yeah. literally alive still. Yuck. <laughs> <laughs> so, there you go. For everybody who's listening to this on the day that it gets broadcast, it's going to be the first day of handworks. Mm-hmm. Hopefully you will catch us there. I'll be there Saturday. Logan's going to be there Friday and Saturday. That's the plan. We'll see. We'll see if yeah. there's enough that I need to go Saturday too. Yeah. And it's supposed to be hot. Hot. Mm-hmm. Not as hot as what they were originally forecasting. At no, one point it was going to be a hundred some, but still. Yeah, warm. it's still 90, 98, something like that. But it's a wet heat here in Iowa. So. Yes. So you stay cool from the dampness. Yeah. 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 <laughs> we got a good breeze out on the prairie. I think we'll be okay. So yeah. come up to us and say hi. And we're happy to stand and chat. Mm-hmm. So. All right. I think that wraps up another episode. We're going to do a free plan for this issue. And it's going to be the shave horse that was built for Woodsmith Magazine. Uh, a few years ago. I have it in my shop now, and I love it. And it's got a fun little adjustable jaw on it, uh, which was an interesting tweak to a somewhat traditional design. So you can check that out on our show notes page. We'll also have a link for it on the YouTube page. Send us an email with your questions, comments, and smart remarks to woodsmith at woodsmith.com or on the YouTube page where you can do all the liking, thumbs-upping, high-fiving, low-fiving, shimmy-shake that you want. So thanks for listening, everybody. See you next week. Bye. Bye.